Hello, my name's David Moffat, and I'm the host of the Moffcast podcast. It's, um, well, I've reinvented myself, I guess, uh, to uh, make use of this medium to talk to some of the movers and shakers in rugby and uh, other sports. And one of those guys has joined me as a very special guest today. His name's Richard Lowe, uh, or otherwise known as Lowey. Um, and uh, if you if you go on to Google and Google him, you'll you'll find out that he's often referred to as the bad man of rugby. That's never how I found him, although he did have some brushes with officialdom and the judiciary from time to time. But I'm actually a little bit more interested in what makes him tick and also what he's doing now and what he sees himself doing in the future. He uh, he played his rugby, a lot of his rugby, not very far from where I live here in North Canterbury, at a uh, club called Glenmark. And in the under-11s, and I'll get him to expand on this a bit, there were four players from his under-11s team in this little town, well, it's not even a town, there's a little place called Glenmark, who became All Blacks. And that is typical of the All Black story as it was then. Not so much now. I don't think there are as many farmers um, who make it to, into the All Blacks, but back in his day, that certainly was the case. Um, he was an All Black, 49 test matches, another 29 non-All Black tests. And I found out, much to my surprise, that he actually captained the All Blacks on three of those occasions. So he must have been doing something right. Uh, and um, he also played for Club Vichy in France, and uh, I'll find out whether he learnt any French, as I like speaking French myself. But anyway, it is bonjour to uh, to uh, Monsieur Louis. Bonjour, David. Comment allez-vous? Oh, ouais. c'est ça, c'est ça, c'est bien. <laughs> oh, c'est bien. No, it's a great time, and uh, and. Uh, France playing rugby. Uh, first time I went there, it was a sort of eye opener. I'd left Marlborough as a young stock agent, gone to the Waikato, and ran across a young. He was a bit of a stick and seat back in those days. One John Mitchell, he actually had a tuft of hair on top in those days too, and he said, "You should come with me back to France." And I said, "What?" We actually first year was in Lyon. Okay. Lou, Olympic University, and we. What an eye-opener. We went across there. Before us, there was uh, two others that played there, Murray Kidd before us and before him, Bob Burgess. So there's a right. bit of history. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but uh, you, you were telling me uh, that um, when you were under-11 side at Glenmark, there were four All Blacks from that team. I mean, that's that's just an amazing statistic. Yeah, it was. Um, the Dean's brothers, Bruce and Robbie, uh, were actually neighbours uh, on the farm behind where my father farmed. Uh, so they were there. And then further down the road were the Earls. And um, I think there were about four boys. Three might have played in the um, under-11s with us. But, you know, it was a great team. The local grader driver, Rolly Curdy, was our, our coach. And... We had another um, family of Harris boys, three Harris boys, and they're all fairly handy too. I think they played Canterbury Country and that standard. So, you know, 
it wasn't bad, but um, Glenmark was one of those clubs back in those days. Um, after you outgrown the under-11s, there was only the seniors. So oh, a lot right. of us, Deans's went to Christ College, I went to Boys High, um, the Earls went to St. Bede's, and when I got told I was no longer required at school, I went back to Denmark and started playing, I think I was nearly <laughs> 17, was 17 when I started playing my senior career. So I had a good 20 years of playing senior rugby. I won't go into how you euphemistically put it, you were no longer required at school. I think that's, you know. Um, well, that's, it's uh, funny because doing a bit of radio work in the past, we come across uh, Morris Horrell, head of Fonterra, and yeah. um, the new national leader, Christopher Luxon, he went there too. And as Hamish Mackay always said, uh, they didn't go there to eat their lunch, Richard. <laughs> Uh, or play rugby. These things, um, these things happen, don't they, David? Yeah, they do, mate. They do. They certainly do. Um, so you retired in 1997, I think, at the ripe old age of um, 35. Uh, um, but 37, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and and you'd actually been able to profit a little bit from the advent of professional rugby uh, with mm. some... Uh, contracts in New Zealand rugby it was during my time there, and um, and then obviously when you went to France, I guess. Um, yeah, you didn't go to French just uh, France to just to see the French way of life. Like modern day rugby's when they're going off to Japan or Europe, they're saying, "I oh, change your lifestyle." Yeah, they never mentioned yeah. their bank account. But in our day, we weren't allowed to mention the bank account. No. But, but Loey, I refereed in France a couple of times uh, and, I re and I refereed uh, in La Rochelle on, on one occasion. Beautiful, beautiful place. And, um, and prior to the match, we were invited because the president is El Supremo in French mm -hmm. rugby clubs and, and even French rugby. And so we went to this fantastic restaurant prior to the match and all I wanted was a banana sandwich. Anyway... <laughs> It was a big five-course meal, red wine, um, and I didn't do any drinking, but the touch judges were into it. Uh, but that's just the way of French rugby. I mean, it, it is all-inclusive, all-encompassing, and they live they live yeah. for the pre-match, the match, the after-match. Yeah, they certainly do. And um, even playing over there, they would have uh, the pre-match meal. You'd sit down and you get this huge steak and a big, yeah. big bowls of pasta, a bit of salad, I suppose, but there was always wine on the table. Yeah. And, you know, the players thought they shouldn't have a straight wine, so they'd water it down a bit. And as I said, it was just, you might as well have Ribena. But, no, they loved it. The um, way of life. And, you know, you talk about refereeing over there. One game in Vichy, a friend of mine, good mate now, um, Frank Bothia, he was uh, second row, and he got me to go along to the local park where this big dude, he was big, and he was um, raking leaves. And uh, went up, Frank had never met him, introduced himself, introduced me, and that person was Olivia Merle, oh. later played <laughs> in France. And, you know, it was funny because the two of them would have been, that Frank's as big as Olivia, and he had fist twice the size as mine 
and he used to say, uh, he said, Rashad, my speciality is Kamsa. And in the scrums, we'd hit down, he'd come through with the biggest king hit for the opposition. <laughs> First time he did it, he hit me in the chest and nearly killed me. But um, he had his 100th game one uh, day in Vichy, got to lead the team on the field. He promptly king hit someone and dropped them and got sent off. Well, you do not send the captain of in his 100th game off five minutes into the game. Next thing, there was a plume of smoke come up behind grandstand. It was the referee's car. <laughs> and that summed, that summed it up. They were as loyal, the French supporters in that wee town of Vichy. You know, Sunday afternoon, the sun was out, and you could be only a little stadium, but you could get mm. four or 5,000 people there. Yeah, the interesting thing, was that uh, I can't remember. There was a couple of Kiwis playing for La Rochelle, and they told me that they were in the habit of wearing cricket boxes mm -hmm. <laughs> when they were playing because the game was uh, that way inclined. And and I must admit, oh, it was, yeah, uh, was that was a bit of a night. Um, my first game was at Strasbourg for uh, Lyon, and we went in the changing shed and uh, I looked around and everyone's slipping these cricket boxes and I said to Mitch what's the story he said oh apparently this team is really really filthy dirty <laughs> and I went, oh yeah and it wasn't so much as someone grabbing your gen genitals no. but when Rakas brought, um, broke up they'd stand back and kick before they'd punch and you know, <laughs> I've got some I've got some bad uh, sprig marks up the thigh where, you know, you'd go down yeah. in the front row and there'd be a bit of a skirmish and they would stand back and step, they'd just take a step back out of firing range of the fist and they'd let strip of a kick. Yeah. Soon. It didn't take, it only took a couple of, couple of occasions. And so when the scrum broke up, you went forward as quick as you could. So they couldn't kick you. And that was it. That was the kicking was amazing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a couple of times when there was a bit of a scuffle, right? And it would start and then all of a sudden it'd stop and they'd be all standing around expecting the referee to do something. But it was, yeah, quite, quite, I mean, I really enjoyed I, I really enjoyed that. I went with a friend of mine, a guy called Michael Eady, who um, was a referee in Sydney when I, when I was refereeing there. But anyway, it's this isn't about me. It's about you. And I alluded earlier to a situation where you actually um, fronted the judiciary on a couple of times, um, you know, perhaps not as often as you should have, but you definitely got there a couple of times. I, and I, I just... It was probably a couple of times too many, David, not the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any regrets at all about the way no, you played the not, game? Not really. Um, I think think it was the way I was brought up in rugby. Um, you say no regrets, and I got off uh, asked that same question when I was speaking at a function over in Australia, and I, I made comment. I thought I paused and thought and said, yeah, there's probably a couple of bastards I would have liked to hit harder. <laughs> that took, there was a chair, but the poor old MC, he didn't know what to say. But, um, you know, it, it, it's just the way it was. I was brought up 
Uh, like you say, started at Glenmark, went to school, went back as a 17-year-old and started playing senior rugby. The lock behind me was Graham Higginson. The number eight was Grizz Wiley. We had the two Monroe boys, um, halfback and midfield, along with Andy Jefford. So we had a fairly good team. And the first year, I played against Bill Bush, Barry Thompson and John Ashworth. I think my nose went left, right every game. And it's something you grew up with. And rucking, you know, remember back then, the All Blacks came home from tour with Adidas caps. They were the they were the boot with five sprigs and there was one yeah. at the front. And that was like yeah. a surgical pull. You get rucked by them, single sprig. And as you referees used to do, come along and inspect it. And you put out the old boots and they had the little 18 mil sprig. And then everyone, especially on the North Canterbury grounds in, in the middle of winter, you played with the 23 mil league sprigs, they called them, a bit narrow. God, you get rucked with a set of them with a bit of vengeance. It didn't lie on the ball. It might tidy no. the rucks up if we went back to it. Well, yes, exactly. I mean, you know, the, the, there's no such thing as a ruck. And I mean, you know, even the World Rugby Law Book, Law 15, I don't want you to go and look at it, but um, it, it talks about what a ruck is today. And and it's exactly the same as it was in your day. But, of course, we haven't seen a proper ruck for the last 20, 25 years. Um, and I know there are some people that think it should come back the way it was, um, but of course times are different now, aren't they, Louie? You know, they're they're hugely different. There's mu there's much more of an emphasis on 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 safety. Although you can always remember, um, you know, when when uh, they started cleaning players out uh, on the side of rucks and malls, and uh, how dangerous. I, I thought that was, could never understand it because you're not allowed to um, tackle a man without the ball uh, in, no. in the game. And, um, and that was happening. I mean, I, and it still goes on. Uh, but, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a different game today, though. I mean, that you know. Was, yeah. That was nearly at the stage I was retiring, uh, 80, late 80s, the 87, I retired, I think. Um, and... The worst one of it all back in those days, early days, and he was he, he was a bit of a character, but I don't know how the top two inches is now. I haven't seen him for a few years. But as old Norm Maxwell, he would come oh, yes. flying in and, you know, it buggered his body. But in saying that, Lilalao got three weeks the other day for it, that uh, Tuesday night Pacifica game, he came flying in the first five minutes. And he sort of dived into the ruck and hit this fella on the back of the head, knocked him over. Yeah. They bucked him for a few minutes. Um, and yeah. none of the referees or touch shows picked it up. But I see, um, I didn't watch the whole game, but I see he got red carded for the exactly the same thing later on in the game, just after half time. So, you know, there's, you talk about rucking and the in our day and the odd person might have got a broken nose through an elbow or, or a punch on the nose, but that blatant high speed, when you're in a ruck and yeah. if you're having a scrap, you're face to face, you can see what's happening. But when someone blindsides you like that, and I've heard club players that have had broken ribs, cracked vertebrae of just some nutter coming flying in at high power and just hitting them. Yeah, well, I sorry, Matt. I, I, I've been involved with a few people in in um, redesigning 
another game uh, for mm. for rugby um, sits in between sevens and fifteens. It's called elevens, um, and I won't go into it uh, today. But one of the catalysts for me looking at this was when Brody Retallick. Remember, he got absolutely hammered um, by a South African. He was, you know, he was just lying where he was lying, and this guy just absolutely shouldered him. Nothing happened to that South African player. I can't even remember his name, but Brody Retallick was out for months, and he was not the same player. One of the, I mean, to my mind, Brody Retallick is one of the, one of the great All Blacks. I mean, he's just so athletic, so mobile, such a great player. But but at the last World Cup, he wasn't he wasn't right. There's no way he could have been right. And then, but not only that, I worry about. You know, he got over that injury, but what what's it going to be like in ten, fifteen years' time? That's what worries me about that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I totally agree with that. You know, I was uh, down at Forsyth Bar. We got, um, you know, how the union used to give us crap tickets all the time to us. Old once was us. You had to pay full value for them anyway. Went down there with a couple of mates, and we got these tickets. And we were second row from the front on about the 20 turn between the 22 and um, 10 yard mark. And I thought, yeah. what, what crap seats these are? Anyway, down there it wasn't too bad because you're up a wee bit back. It was like watching yeah. a club game. That was okay. You could see the whole field. But remember when South Africa, it was South Africa playing the All Blacks a few years back, and Richie McCaw had the same thing. He got cleaned out right in yeah. front of us. Just on the sideline, I sort of sat back in my seat and thought, Christ, that was a bit close. <laughs> the brutality of it. And you take, you talk about bodies, how they're going to be in a few years. You take the punishment for 80 minutes every game he, he put his body through. Yeah. Um, uh, just unbelievable. But at least he used to play 80 minutes. And I know you're a little bit critical of the amount of time that uh, certainly front rowers don't play when they're mm. on the field. Yeah. These days. Yeah, certainly. And I think uh, Hamish Mackay went through and um, he did a bit of, tried to do a bit of an add up. And when Owen Franks retired, he played something like 103 odd tests. I played 49, but I played more minutes. And I always yeah. say to people, how it's changed. And you can't, that's why you can't compare my era with this era or, you know, right through, you mm. know. Uh, there was one stage, Steve McDowell, myself, and Pitsy were the front front row and we played something like 37 test matches together in a row 80 minutes for the whole time Ollie Brown came yeah. in and he took over from Stephen Dow I went out uh, Craig Dowd came in and basically carried on and that there would have been the best part of 15 plus years where basically four props ruled the roost and you, you take when Pitsy was playing I think it was uh, Graham Dowd Warren Gatlin There'll be another one I've forgotten, but they warmed the bench. They never ever got a test match. No. Because it wasn't yeah. until Fitzy was injured, and I think Norm Hewitt might have got one. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, so, you know, it, but it, we get back and we're looking at, you know, front row that you have a full front row in your reserves and they always use them. And I think that's where we are sort of, sort of dropping behind because our. Last year, we got bullied by the uh, French and the Irish. They faced up and they were physical against us. And traditionally, it was the other way around. But, oh, 
Yeah, I just don't know. I, I just think if you want a front rower to, they're only playing one game a week and only to play 40 minutes. You know, in the old days, players would play 80 minutes twice a week. Yeah. Yes. And they were yeah. fit and hardened, et cetera. You know, um, yeah, it's it's a hard hard thing because these super players don't, and all blacks don't play club rugby now. So they've got no. the super games and test matches, which really, I know they're top grade games, but if you're on the field, you should play there. Yeah, I know. And, and I think, um, I mean, I, my personal view is I think there are most likely too many reserves now with eight. Yeah. Um, and and the game has moved from being a contact sport to a collision sport. Uh, and and I think that uh, when you truck on a whole new front row with 10, 15 minutes to go, those collisions just get, um, you know, more brutal. Uh, and and people have reveled in the brutality of the game, but I don't. I think, um, and I think, you know, eventually, hopefully, it'll it'll, um, it'll move on from where it is now. Because w- when when Super Rugby first started, and you were part of that, um, mm. the, there's a guy called Phil Gould, rugby league guy over in Australia, who referred to it as basketball on grass. So I came to the defence of our sport and said, "Well, mate, it's better than." playing five tackle kick, which is what rugby league is. Uh, and But now I sort of refer most of the games that I watch, and it's not that many these days, but as bash and kick, you know, it's bash it up, bash it up, bash it up, can't get through, kick it. And I never thought that I would be um, referring to rugby like that. However, there seems to be a little bit of movement, Louis. I don't know, you know, you talk about Ireland and France, they seem to be wanting to be more expansive. Australia needs to get back to its running rugby, which it was famous for. The All Blacks, I think, need to reset and work out what they're going to be doing going forward. Because as you just said, uh, they got monstered a little bit on that Northern Hemisphere tour. There might have been reasons for that, you know, the COVID and all that sort of stuff. But um, it doesn't seem to me as though the the opposition fear the All Blacks anymore. No, and I don't think we've got Plan B either. Um, we're not sure of Plan A, but Plan B is a bit. There's no Plan B, and to me, you know, you said platform. Uh, we've seen the All Blacks. I think it was the Italian game. They went out and just threw the the so-called B team, threw the ball around without getting um, dominance first. And we were always taught, and I don't think this has changed much. Get dominance, and then. Once you've got the foot on the back of the neck, you can do what you want. And you, yeah. you, you might it might take 40 minutes, it might take 50 or 60 minutes. But that last 20, you're ripping and score four or five tries and really humble them. You know, going back to the Waikato days when we had uh, Kevin Green and Farrell Tomata as our uh, coaches up there, they're more about making sure everyone is happy and come to training, et cetera, and we talk about what we're going to do. But once we were on the field, it was up to the players to make the decision how we we're going to play. And with the forward pack we had and back line we had, we, we were rather fortunate. But it's quite interesting. That's the way we were taught to play rugby. And look at the number of coaches. You know, there's Warren Gatlin. I think Steve Gordon had a go at it. Um, or Buck Anderson went into the Kremlin. And um, Wellington there became... <laughs> Special, uh, as we used to call them, potholes, things you try to avoid. Um, the, uh, who else was there? Tom Coventry, very good coach. John Mitchell, 
You've had the Dwayne Monkleys, you know, it's right through. And then Kevin Puck did a bit of coaching. The All Black uh, coach at the moment, he used to stand wearing the number 10 jersey and quite often, you know, look out positively, the Fords want it, you're not getting it. But outside, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, had, you had people like Reese Allison and Daryl Halligan, Paul Simonson, Jason Goldsmith, just to name a few, attacking players. So the heavy artillery did the hard yards, wore them down, and then you had that firepower out wide. And I don't think the yeah. teams get enough dominance before they use their firepower. Yeah, that's very that's an interesting observation, Lowy, and certainly um, one that I think would find favour with quite a lot of um, New Zealand supporters. Um, outside of rugby, uh, I know that you you farm up up there in the uh, uh, in the sort of foothills of well, not quite the foothills of uh, yeah. of the mountains, but yeah, just at Wymac Gorge, Wymac uh, Gorge. Yeah, and you and you um, uh, and you're farming um, sheep and cattle, I believe. Yeah, sheep and beef. The sheep are a Dooney Merino, um, dual purpose Merino out of South Africa. Originally, they were, and yeah, um, yeah they they clip a clip a good fleece, which goes into the garment undergarment uh, trade. You know, icebreaker, smart walls, Devold do a lot too. Um, so there's that, and then the cattle are uh, Santa Catrutus. And someone said, why have you got them? They're not many about. And I said, well, the herd was for sale one day, and I bought it and got them reasonably well. I, I like them. They, they are a sort of cattle beast. Uh, I think they were developed in America originally, but they're all through uh, Australia and South Africa, and they, they're meant to be drought tolerant. They put it this way, every cattle beast loves a bit of green grass, but they don't mind the dry, arid conditions if, like we normally get in a Canterbury summer. But, you know, yeah. they're great animals, plas big placid. And uh, what is it? They are five-eighths shorthorn originally and a bit of Brahmin. So they still have the big dewlap and, a, you know, big floppy oh, ears. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but, of course, uh, they'd have had a lot of green grass this year because um, we've had an unusual summer in Canterbury yeah. and in, especially in North Canterbury, which is where I live. Uh, the horses yeah, are looking look, good they, on they, it. I think we, I think we end up with. I forget it what what it was. It's like twelve inches of rain, and you know that's three, over three hundred mils in um, end of January, right through until end of March. And like yeah. even last, you know, this time of year, if you got five mils, you thought, oh yeah, that'll help green it up. We got five mils last night. Yeah. I hate to say it because any. Any rain in the summer or autumn is good, but damn, they're a nuisance. So we had to, I've been in twice today. It's midday. I've been in twice to change my socks because they got saturated. New pair, new pair of footwear. Off we go again. Yeah, buy yourself some new boots, gum boots, mate. Oh, farming's not that dry. If you come on, David. It's hard work. This farming. You can't know, just have new boots every day. Well, I've got, I've got fifteen, fifteen. Um, acres here and uh, ten ewes and that and and a couple of hunters, horses and so uh, yeah no we we, we we I've never I've I've liked like the idea of being a farmer but I've never had the courage to be a farmer you know you need a lot of guts you need a lot of guts to play in the front row mate but you also need a lot of guts to be a farmer yeah especially I, in New Zealand at the moment yeah I, I was going to say I often say about farming. 
if it was if it was that easy, every bastard would want to have a go at it. And it's a bit like the front row. It takes a special type of person to want to even play there. I think. Yeah, that, exactly. I often look at little kids when we were coaching uh, the little kids, you know, primary school stage. A mate and I uh, went over to Darfield, and they didn't didn't have we too many kids, and the kids from Sheffield weren't really needed. So we built our own team, and within yeah. four or five games, I I had to go to school and get a couple of little bad boys out of the detention. Went to the netball courts, got my daughter and her mate because they were fairly good. And we, we ended up with a good team, but it was teaching them how to think for themselves and what yeah. what what they could do. And um, I always said the biggest job we've got is to stop the referee blowing his whistle. How do we do yeah. it? Don't tell me now, come back next training. They came back with all the great ideas. One wee little fella said we should get someone to flog it. <laughs> I said, yeah, but most of, <laughs> most of them said, if we don't make a mistake, the referee won't uh, blow his, blow his um, whistle. No doubt you would have been, I don't know, perhaps if you'd been refereed by a guy called Clive Norling. You know, he's a, he was a yes. Welsh, Welsh referee. And he always, um, pardon? We were refereed by him pre his term. Oh, pre <laughs> He, he he always wanted to referee a game and not blow his whistle once, and uh, I'm not quite sure whether he achieved it. But he he had a presence on the field even before he had his perm. You know, he's uh, you know, I always used to enjoy chatting to him because he was typically Welsh. You know, a great sense of humour uh, and and good story and a, and a good storyteller. And you were mentioned your you getting your daughter out of school, but your two daughters have done quite well, haven't they? Um, in a sport which is completely opposite to to rugby, is it? Well, yeah, they're team sports. Um. Yeah, I it's rowing. Uh, they excelled at. I had a go when I was at school and actually made the first eight. I reckon someone else turned up. I would have been the first one chucked out of the boat. But hey, someone had to make up the numbers. But no, they just the oldest one. Um, she had. I suspect nearly 10 years rowing for uh, New Zealand at age group and through to um, the elite. She was uh, four four and then eight. So, you know, tall girl. um, And it's probably she got into rowing because she was fairly tall when she's young, big long levers, and that's what they like. She went well. Then, of course, little sister took the sport up. One thing, Liv's just retired after the last Olympics, but one thing she's got is a huge heart and you look at rugby players or any sports person you know it's what's between your uh, ears and what's under your left hip that really counts and if you've got head and heart yeah then you're halfway there yeah absolutely one of the other things and we had a bit to do with each other um in the broadcasting arena i know that you're an, an avid broadcaster you had your own show uh, but we were we were we would regularly um, have a bit of a sparring match with Brendan Telfer, you may remember, on on his show, and uh, you know I, I really used to enjoy that. But sadly, um, uh, that was canned. What, what's your what's your broadcasting career looking like at the moment? Uh, not um, not doing radio now, but um, doing a couple of. Uh doing a wee bit with a couple of companies we um, make, they've made uh, sort of short video clips of products 
For example, we oh. did one last year called Lowy's Paddock, which was very successful. Um, it was with Pioneer, um, and we oh, did yeah. crazy mm -hmm. And then this year with um, with uh, Catalyst Agronomy, they're doing one, and they just use one of my paddocks to put their product in. Uh, what they suggest, uh, so basically all we do is a short video. Uh, it's probably about four or five different videos. We're do, due to do the second one next week. So the first one was the sprayed out paddock, what was the beer turf, so to speak, and what we're putting in it. And it's only very short, and they use it on online and on their website, etc. And it's just their agronomist talking to a cocky, really, and it works. Yeah, really well. and th those sort of shows are working well right around the world, aren't they? At the moment, I mean, I don't know if you caught um, uh, Clarkson's uh, show. Uh, you know, the guy who used to do uh, yeah, yeah. Top Gear, yeah. Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah, he's got did Diddley Squat Farm, and it's amazing what he. I, I had a brother-in-law that went along there. And what's his um, sidekick? Um, Richard Caleb. Hammond or, yeah. No, Caleb, the farm worker. Oh, yeah, and, Caleb, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was watching one of the shows and Caleb was abusing the crap out of Clarkson for doing something wrong. And he said, I know I've done it wrong. Can you find it in yourself to be nice to me and go mad at me nicely <laughs> instead of you? And he, Clarkson, you know, it, uh, he just... I think he did a lot for farmers over there because, as I said earlier, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. But he's yeah. gone ahead and he bought some sheep. Cool. They had lambs. That's cool. How am I going to market it? So he got them all butchered through an abattoir, packaged, and he's got a farm shop called Squidly.Farm. And he's now, yeah. you know, uh, bees juice, which is honey, yeah. He's even now making gin. And it, it, it just puts stuff on the shelf and people pay a silly amount. To go yeah. I know my wife. Well, we, we're an avid watcher and he's got a second um, uh, series coming out on, on Netflix. Mm -hmm. uh, and I and I really liked um, the, his farming show and, and you know, mm -hmm. the, the interaction. But as you say, he's put the human face on farming. Because unfortunately, yeah. so many people don't even know where their meat comes from, don't know where their milk comes from, and don't know the hardships that farmers have to put up with. Yeah, and I'm probably a bit of old tradition. I can sit down here for a meal in the evening. The vegetables come out of the garden and yeah. the, the meat come out of the paddock. And yeah. I enjoy that, you know, doing your own home kill, hang, butchering it, hanging it up. And I did one for a person that did me a favour, so I... I I uh, gave them a half a lamb, or a hog it mm. was, and I cut it up. My father taught me when you kill a sheep, you do not use any water because if you right. don't have to use water, you've made a very clean, tidy job. And cool, mm. that's what I did. And when he he used to cut them up, you cut the animal down the middle and then the chops, you never used a saw. You individually with a cleaver cut between the chops. So and this oh, right. person said, like the old-fashioned chops you used to get, not just bands of wood. <laughs> and, you know, they were great. You know, it's, I suppose it's a, an art that's passed down. And yeah. you know, I know my son is a very good – he loves his hunting, of course, and he, he, he can book for anything too. So it's, you know, something you learn you never forget. 
No, no, it's something that I not done. We we uh, we get a couple of killers every year, and we sit down at dinner, and just like you say, and we say, well, because my my wife Kerry is fantastic at growing stuff, and you know, and and we'd sit down there and said, well. The only thing on this plate that uh, we haven't uh, grown or made is the plate itself, you know, and uh, and it gives you a great deal of satisfaction, really. It it does, and you know, um, I know it, but if I call it roadkill, anything you hunt and do a bit of hunting. But I send it to a home kill man here, uh, Justin Rangura, just outside Rangura. Give him a free plug, um, Canterbury Home Kills, he's called, and yeah. Noel there does a beautiful range of small goods and of course you you got your plain sausages but he'll do chorizo he'll do bratwurst he'll do uh cranksky and then he makes yeah. he, he does all your patties for you etc makes beautiful um bacon and what have you so i took the other year i took the i got this little fat porker out of the riverbed he um he walked too far towards me and he had to stop and i t- took him down there and he made wild this wild pork into bacon. And everyone mm. said, what the hell was that? It's beautiful. And it's just got a different taste. Well, Lowe, that sounds like a good place to uh, to stop. I mean, we could go on talking forever. You know, I mean, I just find you so interesting uh, to mm. talk to and the stories that you have to tell. But um, you've given me uh, an idea for what I might have for lunch. Um, and it's coming into... <laughs> It's coming into lunchtime. Um, but, um, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll do it again. Um, and if anybody is watching this have been in, and enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed my time with Richard Lowe, can you please just um, subscribe to the uh, to this free, you know, it's not, I'm not looking for any money or something, but the more... Um, likes and subscriptions you get, I think the more people end up seeing it. And and a lot of people deserve to see this. Um, so thank and you, Lowe. Just Lowy. before you leave, David, did, did you like yeah. the um, big thing behind us? I did, yes. The glory days. Yeah. Just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's um, from the first and second uh, World Cups, New Zealand won in 87 yeah. and 2011. And all yep. the individuals that played in those two tournaments have signed up. Have they? Barry John Drake. He passed oh, right. away before he did it. Passed away, yeah. yeah. I can remember I had to take, they sent the stuff down to me and I, I had to take it up country. Andy Earl, we stopped him there, had a uh, coffee and got him to sign it. He said, call in for a beer on the way home. I did. And then he said, bugger it, I'll come with you. And we had to go up to Brucey e. Dean's. Oh yes, okay. Yeah, I'm just on it. So, um, no, it's great. It's a bit of memorabilia. It's about the only thing I've got in the house of playing days, but it's huge. It's huge, and it's in the office wall. I um, we moved about two and a half years ago, uh, and we haven't actually we haven't put any of our stuff up on the walls yet. But we'll get round to it one one wintry day, I guess. But I've got two. Two blazers, you know, I mean, a blazer brigade, you know, but I've got two that I that I hang on my wall, and one's New Zealand rugby blazer, and the other is a Welsh rugby union blazer, and they're a matter of great pride to me because uh, New Zealand and Welsh rugby are the two as we 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 they they epitomise what rugby means to a country, 
Yeah. Less so now in, in, in Wales, but it still, you know, gets the heart going over there. And whilst guys like Steve Hansen and Graham Henry coach both the All Blacks and Welsh and the Welsh, I'm not so sure that there will ever be an administrator who will be the chief executive of both those organisations again. And that and that's a matter of real pride and uh Unfortunately, I can't show them to you because the walls are a bit bare. But, but next time, we'll have them up there. Yeah. Cheers, Dave. Okay, Louie. Thank you. I will. Um, 